Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode five of Wannabe Walk-Ons, the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Ben, and I'm joined by a guy I met in show choir, Drew. And by show choir, you mean Fight Club. No, I mean show choir. Okay, agree to disagree. Each episode, we will sample craft beers, both local and beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, we will dive into the back half of Nebraska's Big Ten West schedule, then chat over a few beers with Michelle and Sam Riggins from Lincoln, Nebraska's Cosmic Eye Brewing. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. Do you know what uh, what next week starts? Next week starts football season. Yeah, next next week is is game week. We're going to be talking about a game that's going to be happening. Yes, and I am I am so excited. I know you're so excited. I feel like the world is ready for football to come back. It it feels like a a level of healing. Yeah, yeah. We've 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 made it. We've crossed the desert, right? We've yeah. made it through the off season, and it's coming to an end. There's light at the end of the tunnel. So here we are with episode five. And all that's left for us to do is to finish the last three games of Nebraska's Big Ten West and talk about some excellent beer. So let's get into it. Cool. Let's dive wait. in. We are drinking some killer beer right now from Cosmic Eye Brewing in Lincoln, Nebraska. Drew, why don't you tell us about what we're drinking? All right. Yeah, we're drinking Dead Man's Run. This is an American-style lager. Cosmic Eye calls this their version of a beer beer. It's made with 50% corn with late editions of Saz hops. It's light, crisp, and refreshing. Yeah, it is fantastic. On the can... It has a disclaimer, too, that says it's made for yard work, lounging in your blow-up pool, and headbanging at rock shows. Right. I love that. It's yeah. a very accurate description of, you know, all the ways you can enjoy this beer. Yeah. They're not kidding when they say this is a beer beer. Yeah. It's their version of your domestic of choice. Yeah. It's it's full of flavor for being such a light beer. Very enjoyable without being over the top. You're not going to get tired of it. Yeah. We're drinking it out of red Solo cups right now, which only seems fitting. Like Absolutely. This is one of those beers, too, that, you know, it's going to have a lot of familiar flavors to it, but you can taste the fact that they used real ingredients and not a rice syrup or something like that to bring this to life. Like, this is real grain. This is real malt. Right. And corn. So corn. there's nothing more Nebraska than that. My body feels like it's getting stronger every, every <laughs> sip because it's just full of corn. Later on in the episode, we're going to sit down, uh, like we said in the intro, with Sam and Michelle, who run Cosmic Eye Brewing, and we're going to talk to them in a really nice interview that we had a great time with them. But for now, we're going to drink these beers while we get right 
into football. And Let's we're going to start it. that. So on October 30th, the Purdue Boilermakers will travel to Lincoln, Nebraska to take on our beloved Big Red. At this time, there's no scheduled kickoff time or assigned TV station. But if the powers that be could schedule an 8 a.m. kickoff, I'm sure they would. Purdue's 2020 season started with back-to-back wins, but things took a quick downhill turn with four straight losses. Their 2-4 and four record was good enough to keep them one spot above Illinois for last place in the Big Ten West. The pride of Tippecanoe County are led by head coach and former All-XFL quarterback Jeff Brom, who holds a 19-25 and 25 record after four seasons in West Lafayette. Prior to coaching the Black and Gold, Brom spent three seasons as the head coach at Western Kentucky, including the 2015 season where the Hilltoppers went 12-2 and and finished 24th in the AP poll. The Huskers and Boilermakers have faced off a total of nine times, with Nebraska holding the advantage five games to four. That said, Brom and Frost have matched up three times, with Frost finally getting his first win in the series just last year. In the offseason, Jeff Brom fired defensive coordinator Bob Diaco, so there's a good chance Purdue will be improved on that side of the ball. With the returning experience at quarterback and a couple of receivers ready to step into the field through a Rondell Moore-sized hole, Purdue is not a team that can be overlooked. Nebraska should have the talent to put this game away, but who knows? In 2018, Purdue beat number 2 Ohio State in the same year they lost to Eastern Kentucky. I guess what I'm trying to say is football isn't played on paper, it's played on the field, and this game will be no different. So Drew, before we talk Purdue, let's get into some true or false. I have a theme today for my true or false questions. Oh, wonderful. And I don't know why this is a theme. I looked back at all my questions and I realized every single true or false has to do with birds. <laughs> okay. True or false. The chicken nugget was invented at Purdue University in 1963. I'm going to say false and I'm going to say it was invented by Purdue Chicken, which is a completely different entity. Well, it is false, but it does actually have connection to Purdue University. Oh, okay. So the chicken nugget, or chicken stick, as it was originally named, was invented by Dr. Robert Baker, a graduate of Purdue's food science program. Baker is the major party responsible for the creation of processed chicken products. His contributions to the poultry industry are partially responsible for the consumption of chicken to have increased from 28 pounds per person per year in 1960 to 97.6 pounds per person in 2020. Dear Lord. (laughs) Baker is described as a professor of poultry science and a chicken savant. (laughs) He grew up in the Depression era and often didn't have enough food to eat, so his goal for experimenting with processed chicken was to make satiating food available to the masses and to increase profit and growth for poultry farmers. Robert Baker was the first to utilize processed chicken to make things we regularly consume today, such as chicken hot dogs, chicken cold cuts, and chicken meatballs. He would provide his market research on the success of his recipes, including packaging, shelf sustainability, and marketing to food processors for free. My favorite invention or marketing ploy of Baker's was eggs for kids in which he took eggs too small for standard consumption and branded them as a treat for children. (laughs) So no, chicken nuggets weren't invented at Purdue University, but they were invented by a Purdue graduate. Awesome. And they had nothing to do with Purdue chicken that you were probably thinking. That's right. Yeah, I guess that's where my mind was going as soon as you said it. So if you eat chicken nuggets, you owe it to Robert Baker. It's very noble of him, too, to like fight hunger. But then also at the same time, he probably created a lot of childhood obesity. He He was trying to do good. He was. And then the McNugget came along. So yeah. What can you do? All right, right, what do you got? All right. Everyone knows that Purdue is where coaching careers go to die. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But did you know, Ben, that Ross Aid Stadium was built on top of a cemetery, which is still housed within the stadium walls? Is that true or false? I don't know. This is our second time we've had a stadium that could possibly be a cemetery. (laughs) It's a popular thing with college football, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say true. You're going to be incorrect, Uh but that's okay. So, okay, so it's false. but It's not unprecedented. Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, in 1991, a newly appointed head coach, Jim Coletto, actually announced that his plan was to install a cemetery adjacent to Purdue's athletic facilities. He would have gravestones placed in the cemetery after every Purdue road win or upset victory. The cemetery was called Victory Garden, and Coletto must have anticipated a lot of big victories. Uh, He constructed a white picket fence that was 30 feet wide and 50 feet long. So for those of you who are bad at math, that's 1,500 square feet of space, which, if it were a Manhattan apartment, uh, would cost a buyer $2 million. (laughs) In West Lafayette, it was $4. (laughs) So in six seasons at Purdue, Coletto and the Boilermakers installed a whopping eight tombstones in Victory Garden. And just to help you visualize the disparity between Coletto's ambition as a coach and his failure as a coach, each tombstone had enough space for a single car garage. Oh my gosh, that's embarrassing. It's brutal. And then I think uh, Joe Tiller came in and was asked about the cemetery and his quote was, I don't like it. (laughs) So he got rid of it. I think every opposing team loves it. Yeah, right? Yeah. All right, so let's get into this. You and I disagree on Purdue's success this year. We do. And I, unfortunately for Purdue, do not think they're going to have a very strong year. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The The first reason right out of the gate is they're going to have their third defensive coordinator in three seasons, and they're coming off of a Bob Diaco 3-4 defense, and they're shifting to a 4-3 defense. We know as Nebraska fans how difficult that change can be. They had some success in the run on their defense. They were able to stop the run, especially against Nebraska. They held Nebraska to like 3.4 yards per run, but their secondary is absolutely awful. For a school that likes to throw the ball as much as Purdue does, you would think their secondary would have enough practice against it, but clearly they're not paying attention or the teams are practicing on two opposite sides of the field. So first of all, Bob Diaco being gone and their new D D coordinator, it doesn't matter who it is. As long as they're losing Bob Diaco, the defense is going to get better. They are switching from the 3-4 to the 4-3, like you said, but they have pieces along this line that are going to benefit from that. Having defensive ends like George Karloftis and Demarcus Mitchell, and then also a couple of D tackles and Anthony Watts and Lawrence Johnson, um, that's going to solidify that front, I think, especially with a guy like Anthony Watts in the middle. He wasn't used very much by Diaco just because of the 3-4 scheme, but I think Moving out of this 4-3, we're going to see a lot more of him. So whatever's going on in that secondary, they're going to benefit from from what's happening up front. So what your argument is, is that their defensive line is going to be improved and that that's going to make a difference. The only thing that I see that helping them with is the pass rush because they only got to the quarterback uh, 2.5% of the time. They were last in the Big Ten and 125th nationally. How big of a jump can you realistically make when you're learning a new system? I don't necessarily buy into the fact that just switching from 3-4 to the 4-3 is going to make that big of a difference when you're still having to learn that system. I mean, I, and I can agree with you, right? Like their defense definitely struggled. If you look at if you look at like their season as a whole, they weren't great, but they had a couple of games early on, the first couple games against Iowa and Illinois where their defense was able to shut both teams down on third down conversions. Their offense had a couple of big games from the playmakers, and they won those games, right? So then the back half of the season, those last four games, that's where the defense really struggled. Like you said, they couldn't generate a lot of pressure. They only had five sacks on the season, which is like nothing. But when they were clicking, they can put it together. And even at their worst... Which is pretty freaking bad. I understand. I'm not trying to say that Purdue is a great team, But even at their worst last year, they didn't lose any games by more than one score outside of the Nebraska game. They didn't win any games by more than one score, 
but they were they were in it, right? They were in it every single game. And even against Nebraska, like they came back at the end and they made us sweat a little bit, right? So this is not a great defense, but I think that they don't need to be a great defense to be a six-win team this year. I disagree with that. This is not a, a season that lines up in Purdue's favor when you're going to be putting the secondary on blast and expecting them to win the game. And on the opposite side of that, when we're talking about the offensive side of the ball, it's even worse for Purdue because they only ran 36% of the time. And if you're trying to win in the Big Ten with only rushing 36% of the time, when there are some serious secondaries in this league, you're not going to have success. I mean, they're only getting 81 yards a game and 3.3 yards a carry in 2020. You cannot expect to win in the Big Ten with those numbers. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were one-dimensional certainly, but they still had some big games out of uh, out of Horvath, their running back. They have an offense that can keep up when their defense fails. It just everything has to go right for them, and when it does, they've proven they can win. They can manage. Like they know who they are. They know they're not going to like pound the ball right, but they can still win games with that formula. They can win them, but they. But they won't. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, it's just, it gets down to it that they just, they don't have the talent. They don't have the playmakers. They get lucky now and again, like we mentioned in our intro forum in that 2018 Ohio State game. They get lucky. Again, I, I think that this offense, I think with Horvath having another year, with having David Bell still around, having another receiver in Milton Wright, I think that this offense is going to be just slightly better. There's no Bob Diakos. The defense has to be better. And that's that's all going to balance back out to being just a 500 team. Okay. If their line was set at four and a half, would you take the over? Yeah. You would? No, I'd take the under. I would, but I wouldn't put any money on it. <laughs> so. Then you're not taking anything. <laughs> all right. So what's your prediction for Nebraska-Purdue? What do you think the score is going to be? Okay. So I know I've been talking Purdue up this whole time, right? I Like I said, they're gonna, I think they're going to be better than people expect them to be, but I think as far as the matchup with Nebraska goes. Nebraska is going to roll on this team. I'm making this prediction because I need to not believe that Nebraska is going to struggle with Purdue this year. Like, we we just can't, right? Like, at this point in Frost's tenure. So, I've got them winning 41-24. You've got a really big margin there. You've got Nebraska putting up some serious points. I have them 32-19, Nebraska winning. Okay. Nebraska has kind of played a sloppy game against Purdue in years past. They played Mm -hmm. a sloppy game against Purdue last year and won by 10. So, I think that if it winds up being a sloppy game, they can still win the game easily. But I think Purdue's going to get some points up there. I think mistakes happen, especially when you're throwing the ball deep every damn down. You're bound to get some great plays downfield and things like that, and it might set up well for Purdue. So that's why I think 32-19 that they'll put up points. But otherwise, uh, yeah, I think I think big red rolls. All right, so moving right along, we're going to get into Wisconsin, and Drew's got the introduction on that one. On November 20th, Nebraska will travel to Madison to take on the University of Wisconsin Badgers. A kickoff time has yet to be assigned, but an energized Camp Randall at night sounds pretty damn good to me. The Badgers finished 2020 with a record of 4-3, and three, which was all it took for third in the Big Ten West. They closed out 2020 with a win over Wake Forest in the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which, coincidentally, is also the official side dish of Wisconsin's offensive line. The formerly nicknamed Wisconsin Football 11 are led by head coach Paul Christ, who, from all of our research, was created in a lab by Barry Alvarez to coach at Wisconsin. Christ grew up in Wisconsin, played for Wisconsin, was an assistant at Wisconsin, and is now head coach of Wisconsin. In six seasons at UW, the power of Christ has compelled the Badgers... (laughs) 
In six seasons at UW, the power of Christ has compelled the Badgers to a 56-19 and record, including three West Division titles and an undefeated record against Nebraska. For now. The Scarlet and Cream have faced off against the Cardinal and White a total of 14 times, with Whiskey holding a significant advantage of 10 games to 4. Nebraska's last win against the Badgers came in 2012, and their only win in Madison came in 1966. Winning in Wisconsin is no easy task. Wisconsin holds an almost 70% win percentage when playing at home. In addition to home field advantage, Wisconsin returns a lot of talent and coaching skill that has them pegged as the favorite to win the Big Ten West. Under Scott Frost, Nebraska has been able to keep this matchup close early on, but hasn't been able to close the gap when it matters. Will this be the year Nebraska pulls off the upset in Madtown, or will the Big Red hang their heads as the Scotties jump, jump, jump around in victory? We'll find out in late November when the Nebraska Cornhuskers show down with the Badgers of Wisconsin. Let's delay. Let's delay talking. Delay about, the inevitable. Yeah. Let's delay talking about um, Wisconsin and that football game, and let's do some true false. All right. Okay. Take it away, Ben. Everyone knows that Wisconsin has been dubbed national champions three times in their 130-year history, though two of those championships, awarded in 1906 and 1928, are not claimed by the university. But did you know the one national championship Wisconsin does claim from the year of 1942 was awarded to them by a bakery? (laughs) What? (laughs) They did have the slab of bacon, so I wouldn't be surprised if they they hold the Kalachi National Championship or whatever it happens to be for for Wisconsin. So I'm going to say true. They are a very food oriented school. Yeah, it's true. It's true ish, right? So okay. I, didn't, I couldn't say it's fully true. Um, so it was awarded to them by the Helms Athletic Foundation, which was not a foundation at all. It was an NCAA designated selector that was subsidized entirely by Helms Bakery in Los Angeles, California. So it was just a dude who had a bakery, like a pretty big bakery, who decided to start picking national champions in basketball and football. And he selected Wisconsin that year. A little history for Helms Bakery, though. They were the official bakery of multiple Olympics, and they sent the first loaf of bread to the moon on the Apollo 11 space mission. So, oh, man. Yeah, they have a more fun history than Wisconsin. So... <laughs> They were the official bread of the Olympics. Yeah, so it was it was it was held in Los Angeles in 1932. Yeah, and they did such a great job there that G- Germany reached out to them for the 1936 Olympics. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. Maybe yeah. I don't. I don't. Maybe think they, they were the official bread of one Olympics. <laughs> they might not have known what was going on over there at the time. They knew. Yeah, <laughs> Every, not to. So they sent bread to the moon, so they, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, give me your, give me your true false. Let's okay. So, true or false, the plastic flamingo was invented in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm going to say false. I feel like it should have been invented in, like, Phoenix. Well, it wasn't invented in Phoenix. Okay. Was it Madison? It was not invented in Madison. Okay. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So, the plastic flamingo was invented in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. That's the end of my fact. No. (laughs) But the plastic pink yard ornaments are the official bird of Madison, Wisconsin. Would you like to know why? Why? I would love to know why. Okay. In 1979, a group of students known as the Pail and Shovel Party at UW-Madison wanted to prank the dean. 
On the first day of the fall semester, the pail and shovels decorated the lawn near the dean's office with 1,008 plastic flamingos. In 2009, on the 30th anniversary of the prank, a local reporter by the name of Doug Moe lobbied the city council to name the fake bird the official bird of Madison. His pitch was that Madison has always managed to laugh at ourselves. 15 of the 19 voters on the council agreed, and in 2009, the plastic pink flamingo became the official bird of Madison, Wisconsin. So I can only imagine that the four people who were like, no, were trying to pass universal health care yeah. or approve a budget for a new elementary school uh, on the same day. And they were just like, we don't have time for this bullshit. <laughs> Get out of here, Doug Moe. What sensible assholes, right? They just couldn't laugh at themselves. Yeah. So oh, there you man. go. That's the history of Madison, Wisconsin with pink flamingos. Awesome. That's fun. Yeah, it is fun. That's a good one. All right, Ben. I want to hear something positive about Nebraska's chances here against okay. Wisconsin. I have something slightly positive for you. Okay. Okay. Close your eyes. I'm closing Everyone eyes. listening, even yeah. those who are driving. <laughs> this is important. No, don't, don't do that. No, it's important for the exercise. <laughs> don't do that. If you're driving, keep keep your eyes on the road. What is Wisconsin's offense known for? Running the damn ball. Right. Wisconsin's only returning 55% of their production in running. All three of their starting scholarship running backs were out for the spring. So Wisconsin has to develop their next great running back. And who knows how long that's going to take, A. And who knows who that's going to be, B. They had to go into the transfer portal to go and find some more scholarship guys and add to their program because they aren't confident with the running backs that they have to get them ready to go for a Big Ten load that Wisconsin's going to put a running back through. Now, that's about as good a news as I can bring you. This might be the year where Wisconsin's running game is not the backbone, and they're having to figure things out a little bit more game-to-game game instead of defenses having to shape up to face Wisconsin. Um, do, you, do they need to be traditional Wisconsin running when they have the receiving options that they have, when they have Graham Mertz at quarterback, and then when they have Ferguson at tight end? You asked for good news. You didn't ask for good news, <laughs> bad news. <laughs> So what? They recruited a five-star quarterback who was just slightly starting to come into his own. I still think he's behind schedule. But that said, you could consider this maybe to be more of Graham Mertz's first year uh, of really having the full experience, not having a spring canceled, having a full fall camp and that sort of thing. So I do think he's a little bit behind schedule. Do you expect him, though, to to get on track here? Like, is this a season where he comes into his own? Yeah. Yeah. That's I Yeah, see, and I'm right there with you. And that's the thing that scares me. Is that without you know without a, an established running game, which Wisconsin's going to figure it out. They've got they've got players there like Jalen Berger, like that's going to be their guy. And then they've got they've got a transfer coming in from Clemson, Ches Malusi, right? They've got some options there. They don't have the depth that they've always had. They don't have a star name right now, but they've got enough pieces around them that they can, I think, develop the running backs this year. I don't think they're going to miss a beat. The other positive I can give you is. Wisconsin last year, though, only averaged 25 points a game. Now, that being said, that 25 points per game was 48 points in a couple of games and only 7 or 10 points per game. So there are games where you can shut them down. What what we did learn from Wisconsin is if the bottom falls out on that offense, if they lose all of their receiving options, if they don't have a running game, if Graham Mertz is thrown off schedule, they're going to struggle, and they're going to struggle really hard. Those games, I think, that you were referring to where they weren't putting up points Northwestern, Indiana, Iowa, they averaged under seven points a game, and they were at about 282 yards a game. Right. And Iowa, I mean, Iowa really dragged them down. Iowa's defense is just that good. But yeah, we've we've seen, they, they can struggle, but it takes a lot 
to to drag them down. I think they're going to bounce back in a big way. If their defense can be anywhere close to what it was with the offense being healthy again, Graham Mertz another year under his belt. They find that running game, and I think they're gonna I think they're gonna roll this year. Well, I don't have any doubt. I mean, I think, like I said, I think Paul Christ is the perfect coach for Wisconsin. He's made in a lab. He's a cheese curd in human form. He really is. It's insane. So what's your prediction? What do you think the score is going to be for this uh, one? I've got I've got Wisconsin rolling to a 33 to 17 victory. Like really? I do. I just they're just they're just that good to me on paper and Nebraska's not. Yeah. I don't I don't think Nebraska's up to snuff when it comes to Wisconsin. They're cut above in the West. What I like about this game is where it falls in Nebraska's schedule. I really like that Nebraska's going to know 100% who they are by the time they go into Camp Randall. I still think it's a loss, but I think it's 27-24. Oh, so you got it being pretty tight. I got to be in a heartbreaker. Yeah. I got to be in one where Nebraska goes out of there going, man, we were a play away from winning that game. And I don't think it's going to be anyone's fault that we lost that game. I think Wisconsin's defense is going to pitch a hell of a game, but I think so is Nebraska's. And I think they're going to match up pretty damn well. I like that. I mean, obviously I would take that over my prediction. Yeah. Um, I'm just worried, you know, it's it's towards the end of the season there when, when things are getting a little scary and, and you got Iowa looking forward to so but I think if you come off a 27-24 loss to Wisconsin you're gonna have some some fire in you heading into I the think short if, week if they can hang oh if they hang with Wisconsin yeah absolutely that'll that'll be motivation enough to carry them through well let's move into the next beer that we're drinking before we get into Iowa so Drew why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction to this second beer we're having from Cosmic Eye all right yeah we're drinking Floyd Wants to Party which is a summer lager it's a little less hoppy than Dead Man's Run, so you get a little more of that malt flavor. There's a little funk to it to me that's enjoyable, um, but just different. Yeah, I do think this one has a little bit more complexity on top of it than the Dead Man's Run. If you were going to have Dead Man's Run in a fridge and Floyd wants to party in a fridge, I would think that your more domestic drinkers might reach for a Dead Man's Run too. Um, but I really like this uh, Floyd wants to party as well. I think that that funkiness you talk about reminds me of some of my favorite beers. Um, I'm a big fan of like barley wines. And so this is kind of a lager that has some of those characteristics that funk you talk about. And I think it's absolutely delicious. So I really like this Floyd's. It's it's surprising for a lager to have some of the typical flavors you expect, but then some of the really complex things that you can get from craft beers that would scare the pants off of a non-craft beer drinker. Yeah. What you see is uh, between these two beers is you have lager and a lager. And you can see how wide the spectrum is, is like and what you can really do with a beer. It encourages you to explore and get out there and find out what brewers are doing. So shall we move into everyone's favorite Nebraska opponent? Is okay, that a yes? We have to. <laughs> All right. On November 26th, Nebraska will play host to the Iowa Hawkeyes for their annual Black Friday matchup. The game is scheduled for a 1230 kickoff on BTN. The Hawkeyes are coming off of a strong 6-2 and record in 2020, including an impressive win in their final game against Wisconsin. The Hawkeyes are led by veteran head coach Kirk Ferentz, who heading into his 23rd season is 168-106 and at Iowa. Iowa is currently on a six-game win streak against Nebraska, but Nebraska holds the all-time record of 29-19. To give a little more backstory on where the Hawkeyes hail from, I pulled a random review of Iowa City to share with you today. This review is from bestplaces.net by Amy, an Iowa City resident, and is titled... Do not move here. Unless you need to come here for school, do not move to Iowa City. Long story short, my husband ended up getting a fellowship at the University of Iowa, and we ended up here. We've been trying desperately to escape for the last eight years. There is nothing to do, especially if you have kids. There is one bowling alley that is run down and pathetic. We drive an hour and a half in the fall just to get to a decent pumpkin patch. Other than that, it's all mediocre food and going to the movies. Want to eat after 10 p.m.? Hope you like IHOP, because that's all there is. 
In the summer, there are art festivals and whatnot, but the ones I've gone to are not much more than a place to walk around for an hour and then go home. <laughs> oh, and Ragbri. Ragbri, Ragbri, Ragbri. Iowa's gift to the Midwest. Unrelated question, why do Iowans all run outside with their shirts off? I could go on, but I think I'll stop here. Get me out of here. I can't take it. Zero stars. It's never a dull game in this not rivalry. With as close as the games have been in the past, we can only hope Nebraska pulls off the victory and snaps the six-game skid, if not for us, but for Amy. I love that her concern for her kids is having a decent bowling alley and a pumpkin patch within driving distance. Isn't that what you want for your children? Yeah, who gives a shit about the schools? I want a decent bowling alley and a goddamn pumpkin patch that I can visit regularly. So anyways, anyway. uh, true or false? <laughs> Let's start with our true or false, and then we'll get into our Iowa thoughts. Drew, my true or false for you is this. In 2020, the Iowa City Bird Club reported the highest count of individual birds on their annual Christmas bird count with 28,866 birds counted in a single day. I'm going to say I'm going to say that's True, they saw a lot of birds, and I'm going to suggest to Amy that she join the bird club for something to do while in Iowa. <laughs> that's what I was going to say is that's all there is to do in <laughs> Iowa is count birds Counting that fly by. Birds. But lots of them. So to round out my bird trifecta, true or false question, <laughs> you are correct. That is true. So celebrating the Iowa City Bird Club's 70th annual Christmas bird count, the club's 46 participants were able to amass a tally of close to 29,000 birds in a single day. Instead of birding in small groups, most participants birded alone and were assigned smaller areas to cover because of COVID. Because of the changes, the club had a broader coverage of the area, and as a result, many species were seen in record or near record numbers. One individual, one person, racked up an impressive 13,352 birds while scanning his assigned territory in a single day. Cheater. Cheater. There's no way. (laughs) One guy in whatever territory he had was like... I counted 13,352 birds. Just walked into an aviary. (laughs) I'm going to go to the zoo. He went to PetSmart. It was like, one. So uh, some birds common to Iowa City include the blue jay, the tufted titmouse, the American crow, the white-breasted nuthatch, the red-tailed hawk, the American goldfinch, and the yellow-shafted northern flicker. Come on, Amy, you have the yellow shafted northern flicker there. Like, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment in Iowa when there's 28,000 birds to count. Yeah. On Christmas. <sighs> Come on, kids. Alone on Christmas. <laughs> I didn't even sad. know that those handheld clickers could get up to 13,000. I wonder how many that guy had. Like, if he's like, oh, this one's at 9,999. Time to roll it over <laughs> got, to clicker number two. He's got like a bandolier full of clickers just... <laughs> Oh, man, like a Chewbacca out there, just yeah. ready to roll. All right, what do you what do you got? Here we go. Iowa. Everyone knows that Iowa sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but did you know, Ben, that Iowa is the only football team in the history of the NCAA to have recorded not one, but two official losses against itself? Yeah, that's got to be true. I want that to be true so hard. Yeah, don't you though? Yeah. I did too. It's unfortunately, it's false. Kind of. I mean, it's false. It is false. So the Iowa Hawkeyes have never lost the Iowa Hawkeyes. However, the Iowa Hawkeyes are 
0-2 against the Iowa Seahawks, which was a pre-flight school that was located on Iowa's campus from 1943 to 1945. They were put there by the Naval Academy, which considered football to be a great athletic training exercise. So they established football teams uh, throughout the United States for their World War II flight schools. The Iowa Seahawks compiled a 26-5 record over their three-year existence, finishing 2-0 against Iowa. And they were also the number two team in the nation one year in the final AP rankings. So the Iowa Hawkeyes got beat by the kids in gym class not, who were yeah. like... <laughs> so not only did, yeah, not only did they get beat, but they got beat like bad too. And, and like a pretty the good Seahawks team. came in, the Seahawks came in and took over the Iowa Hawkeye facilities so that the, the actual football team couldn't even use their own facilities. They've proved that you can win at Iowa, you know, and you can yeah. win big. You can win more than nine, 10 games a season and actually go for a national championship. Let's talk about um, how they won't win a national championship this year. It ain't going to be this year, I can tell you that. Yeah. So what do you think about Iowa? What are your thoughts going into this game? I think that I think that Iowa of 2020 is going to be Iowa of 2021. I don't think that we're going to see anything too different from them. I think they're going to rely on a really great defense. I think they're going to have a super average at best offense, and they're going to be Iowa. Where where do you see Nebraska's best effort to t- attack them, uh, to attack that defense? Last year in 2020, no team overachieved against Iowa's defense. No offense. Other than Illinois, which scored .9 points over their season average. The team that came closest, though, was Nebraska. They were about a field goal less than what their their average was. But yeah, it's, it's Iowa's defense. They didn't play any great, like really great offenses, but they held every single offense below their expected average. So I don't know if there, I don't know if there is a weakness. I mean, maybe the defensive line um, where they've got a lot of new guys coming in, but I'm not sure. I'm going to challenge that. Okay. Um, and I think that you attack them through the air. I really think that if you go after their secondary and you try and play them the way, hate to say it, the way that Purdue did, and you use an air assault on Iowa, I think that that's how you're going to win the game. And I really like how our wide receivers match up against their secondary and their linebackers, especially when you put a guy like Samari Toure in the slot. You've got guys like Austin Allen who have great hands. You've got Omar Manning, who is the size of a linebacker, but he's faster than hell. You've got Betts. You've got all these guys who just match up so well against this secondary in Iowa, and you attack them through the air, and then you force them to have to take away their run coverage, and then you can beat them on the ground. I think that opens up the game. I think this is going to be a pass-first sort of game that opens up the run and lets you bleed that clock once you have the lead. Okay. I think that's I think that's interesting. I don't like I said, like I just can't I don't see a way through it. I'm gonna run down some numbers and I'll tell you why I think you know, even yeah, in the passing game. They were they they went through defense discipline and discipline, right? So they were twelfth in red zone defense, they're tenth in rushing defense, eighth in total defense, seventh in passing efficiency, sixth in scoring, um, second in opponent points per play, and first in yards per play. Like they just they don't give up big plays. They don't there's not a weakness in that against the pass. There's not a weakness against the rush. They're good in the red zone, and they're also really well disciplined. They had the they had a plus nine turnover margin last year. Nebraska's was I want to say negative eleven. If if Nebraska's going to beat Iowa this year, it's going to be because of turnovers. Completely flipping the switch. Nebraska's going to have to be opportunistic with their offense. They're not necessarily going to be able to pick apart the defense. The only other thing that gives me hope against Iowa is the lack of experience that they have returning on their offensive and defensive line. And I think that with the amount of experience we have coming back on our defensive line, I think that plays well against. I know they've got their center in Linderman, who's probably going to win the Remington uh, as the best center in the country. But I do think that they're returning experience by the time you get to them through the end of the season, they're going to maybe hopefully have been burnt out by that point. 
and you're not going to get their best game. And I also think that having new starters on the defensive line, it might be the same situation where you don't have guys getting stronger throughout the year because they're not conditioned to be that. They haven't been playing with that experience. So I think Nebraska can really take advantage of this game. I don't think it's going to be a runaway for Nebraska, but I do think it's going to be a win for Nebraska. I actually really like how Nebraska matches up with Iowa this year. And I know that, you know, you just ran through a list of a really impressive defense, but I don't think it is the same defense as last year. I think that it all starts up front for Iowa and they don't necessarily have the proven talent up front. So you can at least get through that and you can start to bump up some of those numbers and force that linebacker core to have to play further back if you're going after that pass first style offense. I don't know. It's it's never an easy game. It's never an easy win against Iowa. But I do think that it matches up well for this to be another close game. I don't think it's one of those games where, oh, man, going into this, I don't feel the same way I do about Wisconsin. You know, I feel like Iowa's very gettable this year. Yeah, they feel, they honestly, they feel gettable every year. Like, we just have those types of games with them. I'm high on the wide receiver core just like you are. I think that, especially by the end of the year, Martinez is going to have those, you know, connections developed. He's going to know how to, you know, progress through his reads. He's going to know where guys are going to be and when they're going to be there. I I just don't see Iowa missing a beat on, on defense. That said, I, I also have Nebraska pegged for a win because fuck Iowa. Like, I just don't, I can't. <laughs> Even if I wasn't so hard against Iowa, like I still I still see Nebraska this being the year that they finally get them. And it's not so much to do with Iowa's defense, but it has everything to do with their offense. They're they're so vanilla, like they're so average. Their their quarterback play is not that impressive, and so I don't see them. If there are a couple breakdowns on defense, and Nebraska gets into the mid to upper twenties, I don't know if Iowa's offense can keep up. So what's your what's your score prediction? What's the final score? So I've got it. I've still got a pretty low score. I've got it at twenty one to seventeen. I think it's going to be a bit of a dog fight. It's going to be the end of the season. Guys are going to be tired. Teams might be beat up. You never know. You know who who you're actually going to have at this point. So I see both defenses having a day, and I see Nebraska squeaking it out. So you got a four-point spread? Yes. I got a four-point spread. 31-27. I see more points on the board. I want it to be a walk-off win for Nebraska. So hard. Something sweet. I want it to be a nail-biter, and I want Nebraska to win in the last second because nothing would feel sweeter. I'll take it. I'll take a win at any second in that game. Perfect. So before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. The craft beer industry provides over 4,000 full-time jobs in Nebraska alone. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small business, something that's important now more than ever. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. So speaking of the NCBG, recently we were fortunate to sit down with Michelle and Sam Riggins, co-owners of Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild member Cosmic Eye Brewing, for an absolute treat of an interview. We invite you to sit back. You don't think people are already sitting while they listen to this? Sit Sit back further. I don't know. Uh, you know, and just sit back, stand up, do whatever you want to do. Enjoy the conversation with Cosmic Eye Brewing. Cosmic Eye Brewing in Lincoln, Nebraska opened its doors in October of 2018. In under three years, Cosmic Eye has been named the best new brewery in Nebraska, won a grand champion award in the United States Beer Tasting Championship, and has multiple beers on the best in the Midwest list. 
Today, Drew and I are fortunate enough to talk shop at the pair behind Cosmic Eye Brewing, Michelle and Sam Riggins. Michelle, Sam, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, what's Thanks. up? Yeah. Thanks for hosting. Uh, to get to get rocking and rolling, tell us a little bit about who you guys are and what uh, roles you play at Cosmic Eye. So <laughs> Sam um, brews all the beers, uh, does all the production scheduling, orders all the supplies for brewing, ingredients, etc. Um, and then my role is more up in the tap room, so I you know, schedule all of our employees and schedule our events and uh, think of most of the yeah, events right. that we do. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, we host all those events ourselves as well. So, um, so yeah. So I think we balance things out pretty well. And uh, yeah, you guys have one of the stronger social media presences, I think, as well. Uh, oh, in a lot thanks. of the Is that something that you yeah, also we do that as well? Yeah, we yep. do. Yep. Michelle probably does eighty-five percent of that, yep. and then. You can usually go through our feed and tell which ones. Tell who's who. <laughs> we can you usually tell well who does which post. <laughs> um, you know, there's an app we use for a lot of those, like, photo editings and, like, sign creation kind of stuff. Yeah. And, it, you know, if you look at the really detailed, um, well-put-together ones, they're usually Michelle. And if you look at the one where it's, like, a, you know, dumb photo and, like, just a line <laughs> of text over it and, you know, that's those are the ones that I do. The crazy thing with social media for me is always the things that hit and blow up for you. You know, you'll have something where we're like, you know, she'll spend like an hour making a post and it's like yeah. super awesome. And then it's like three likes. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then like yesterday we just did some posts. We started, um, we've always had a lot of non-alcoholic options here. You know, we have a basically a whole cooler of, you know, sodas, juices, that, that kind of stuff. Um, but we just recently changed one of the juices we carry and then like we started carrying a couple of the athletic brewing non non alcoholic beers posted that and it was just like all day long it was just like boom and you're just like what and how is this the thing that took off yeah that's always the thing with social media yeah. that blows my mind. Just a lot of non-drinkers following breweries, yeah, waiting for that right. opportunity. Like, yeah. Yeah. I know they're going to do know. it. Well, they have to. They yeah. have to. But yeah. 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 So, you know, yeah. for businesses our size, um, you know, being engaged, I mean, you know, it's kind of the sweat equity advertising right. for us. You know, we put the time in, um, you know, we're, man you know, we manage that 100% ourselves. You know, if you're, if you see a comment on it, it's from us. Yeah, it's if you us. message it, it's, it's us. us. Um Please don't send me Facebook messages yeah. at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> yeah. right. uh, especially if you're upset about something. Yeah. Come, come yell at you in person. Yeah, yeah, right, or, yeah. or just yell at me in person. Right, yeah. You know, you, then you have to buy a beer. So yeah. you know, it's cool. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the beer. We we well got one in hand right now. Um, sure. I've got I've got the basilisk. It's a dark lager, yeah. right? Yep. So I mean, I snagged that one right away because I saw it was for fans of stouts and porters. That's right. me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ben, what do you got? What do you got? Uh, I'm drinking the the Veterans IPA, which a lot of times you get those beers that are the fundraiser beers, and they don't always have the flavor profile that something like this does. Oh, I mean, sure. there's there's like actual care that's been put yeah, into yeah. this, just like anything else. It's not just we're gonna sell this light beer and yeah, raise yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one was kind of an easy one for me to do because we're a veteran-owned brewery. Um, my dad's a veteran. Um, he was in regular army for a long time and then retired National Guard. He was full-time National Guard when he retired. And each year, Yakima Chief, uh, who's one of our hop suppliers out of Washington, they have a lot of veteran employees. They're also friends with a lot of veteran brewers uh, in their area. Uh, so each year they do a special hop selection. 
and they do those with their veteran employees and their veteran friends. Uh, a portion of the proceeds of these hops, when we buy them, uh, they pick a new organization each year. Uh, this year, uh, it was the Gary Sinise Foundation. And so a portion of those proceeds go to that. And then on top of that, we're donating additional money to uh, Canines for Warriors. Uh, we're big fans of rescue dogs, rescue animals in general. And Canines for Warriors group rescues dogs from local shelters, trains them to be therapy dogs, companion dogs for uh, vets with PTSD. Uh, and then they fly these. There's a list of vets that can get get on. They fly them down for a three-week program. Um, to meet their dog, to do training with their dog, and to understand how the dog's supposed to work for them, both as a companion animal and as a therapy partner. When we found that organization, I was really excited because it really supports two causes that were really hit home for us. That's great. That's, yeah. that's, that's an amazing organization. You know, PTSD is such a huge problem for veterans, 22 suicides a day. It's insane to me, and it absolutely breaks my heart to see those things happen. And so to be able to save dogs and save people at the same time, I think, is is a really cool thing. But I really didn't have to put much into this beer. You know, the hops come as a blend. There's, I think, four varieties in this one this year, and they did all the hard work of selection and, and like, finding a good blend for us. Um and really, I just had to come up with a malt bill and, you know, make sure I didn't screw it up when I brewed it. So right. they're not just they're not just picking what they have that is like overfill. They're actually yeah. really yeah. making a, a yeah. point of focus of. So this is a list first selection. They get first selection on all these each year is my understanding. So it's really cool. You know, yeah. so they're going out and, and, and finding the best of the best of because like every lot of hops is a little bit different. And they let these guys from from what I understand, go and just absolutely pick the best hops of the bunch. So kind of switching gears away from brewing philosophy over to more naming philosophy that uh, cosmic eye came to you guys in a song lyric after encountering trademark issues yeah. uh, with your original name. So did, yep. did changing kind of a long planned name in the 11th hour change your brewery's identity at all? No. And that was the hard part about finding the new name <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because we For already real. had an identity Yeah, with get lost was the original name. Um, and so we had beer names, that were sort of built around that idea. The space was built around that idea. We're kind of off the beaten path a bit, in some people's opinion. Yeah, we're off for, 70th and 0, right. yeah. Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, we're a half block off of but Main Street. But, people do feel like you know, we're off the beaten path. A whole half block. Yeah. I mean, you know, people act like yeah. we're like on the moon sometimes. Yeah, it's, like, it's oh, crazy. so hard to find. But everything was really built around that original name. So it was very difficult to find a new name that continued that idea where we didn't have to make a whole bunch of changes. Sure. It, it was, was stressful. It was, super stressful. It was really stressful because yeah. it's just yeah. like one of those things. Like we were fine. We were getting to the point where we needed to do like artwork, yeah. set up a new legal corporate identity. And it's just like one of those things. It's just like right in the middle of your brain yeah. all day long. And it's just occupying all your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> so was it, was it that kind of like aha moment once Cosmic oh, Eye yeah. did hit? For like, oh yeah. yeah. For me it was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was. For both of us, I think. Yeah. Cause he called me right away and I was yeah. like, that's better. And I like it more and it makes sense. And were, th were there any like names that almost made the cut? Not no. really. No. No. You know, <laughs> everything we'd be like, Hey, this, and we'd yeah. be like, that's stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, or like, or it just like, didn't, it, we just came up with so many things that just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. yeah, you yeah. know, we played around with a lot of these ideas of like inner eye, third eye, that kind of thing. And like, it just never, it always sounded it's cheesy. Like, sort of like 
roll off the tongue and be memorable, you know, I feel like. And and then, you, you know, know, some of it just sounded a little too, like, hippy-dippy to us because, you know, that's not who we are. And No offense. No offense to the hippies. Yeah. <laughs> or the dippies. Yeah, yeah. or the di- I don't know about them. <laughs> we don't see a lot of them around, so I'm sure they'll come out of droves on the internet. But, yeah, it just, it was really difficult and hard, but then when we found it, I mean, it just was, it was immediate for me. Yeah, I was, was like, that's it. Yeah, for me too. Got on the phone, yeah. called Michelle. And she said, like, holy shit, yeah, I love it. Started calling, I don't know, eight or ten different friends that yeah. were familiar and, and somewhat invested with us, it, with the project, just personally being, you know, excited and cheerleaders of ours. And everybody was like, oh, man. And it was like, oh, I like that even better than Get Lost. And it was like, oh, okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> I think we better. do. Too. I think we like yeah. it better, too. So yeah. it, it is kind of a wholly unique name to Nebraska breweries. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, our branding's well, very different, I feel like, too, than a lot of other things on the shelf. Yeah. I, I would say overall, really, honestly, it's very plain. It's very simple, and that makes it stick out. Exactly. So, yep. Yeah. And then you come, and then you come to the brewery, and it's it's a it's a wild, fun yeah. space. Yeah, yeah. This really is, unique. This yeah. is what our house looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, for real, this yeah. is just a continuation <laughs> of the collection of nonsense yeah. that we have at our house. Yeah. So. I, I like the the beer hall feel. Like yeah. it yeah. feels oh, yeah. like you're just walking yeah, yeah, into yeah. a beer hall, grab a bench, find someone yep. maybe you don't know, yeah. sit down, have yep. a beer. Yep. yep. That worked great until COVID. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's starting to get back. And then you were like, this going. is the stupidest yeah, thing we right? could have done. You're like, why? When people come in and, and, you know, find a spot at one of these benches, they might come across an award-winning beer, right? You guys, I, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you guys have quite a few, you know, uh, Ben mentioned them. Um, I'm curious, when you enter a competition, what's your competition philosophy? Like, who are you competing against? Is it yourself? Are I mean, you trying just, to perfect a style? You don't get notes back on these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like when you do a homebrew contest um, and things will be BJCP forms and, you know, hey, bump your carbonation, do this, do that. I mean, like the notes and the feedback we get from judges in these is very minimal. And so, you know, expecting to get any real like feedback on what the beer actually is or where you might have screwed up or where you did well is just not there. You might get a note sheet back with like eight words on it yeah, (laughs) because they're just judging so many beers when they do it. I quite honestly really don't care about contests. I mean... It's really nice to win the awards. It's really nice to get the exposure. It's really nice to get your, your thing. But, you know, for me, it's like I'm entering them so we can get a press release. That's what they're designed for. You know, Great yeah. American Beer Fest yeah. um, awards were originally designed so people could go say, home, say, uh, hey, I won, such such. I won this. Yeah. And, you know, really all those contests are designed as a way for you to be able to promote your brewery. I know that the competition that we're up against is always so good. I know who's entering contests when I send beer, you know, we've been around long enough that, you know, it's a lot of people we know. And so it's like when you can go up against breweries that, you know, and respect and like and beat them. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's fun. That's That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. When you know that um, you have a beer um, in the same category as a brewery you used to work at and that you edge them out, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Especially when it's beers that they're, you know, they're submitting that you love. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, really for me, I mean, it's it's cool to win these awards, but, I, you know, it's not the be all end all for me. Um, and, and really, I mean, it's just a really good way to promote what we're doing. Yeah. My answer was going to be, we're here to win, prepare to lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. 
Yeah, and it, you know, I send these beers off and don't I real I don't ever expect anything out no, of it. We you don't. know. And one of the other things that happens in beer judging like this is I mean, you could have you could have a beer that on one day would win a gold medal and on the next day it wouldn't yeah. even get out of the first round. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of it depends on who who the judges are, what their palate's like, you know, like if I if they put our beer down first instead of second in their tasting order can change your palate completely. So who's well, that? You who, don't always win. Whose so. palate are you are you brewing for then? Mine and yeah. hers. Yeah. 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 Well, I always so I always say that we brew beer for people. So you'll see that a lot in our posts. And to me that means that we're brewing drinkable beer that tastes like beer. That's usually yeah. the mm-hmm. beginning and end of, you know, how he's brewing and the profiles that you know, we're sort of going for it. Should taste like beer. We think every beer that we brew, typically, there's been a couple. Yeah, there's a, a little couple bit things out here there, and there, but for the most, you know, ninety nine point nine percent are beer. So that's important to us, and that's sort of like what we're thinking about when we think about beer. You, you mentioned when we before we sat down that a lot of your customers and guests to the brewery itself tend to skew a little bit towards an older age. Do you feel like yeah. that actually leads to that? Maybe that that you have less of a, yeah, I, I don't want to say yeah, experimental, yeah, yeah. but sure, yeah. but it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's something yeah. that's more recognizable. No, as, I can see. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah. yeah. And, you yeah. know, we're just so far away from downtown, too. Yeah. I think that's part of it. You know, I mean, I know when I was younger, I didn't want to stray very far from home to be drinking because of the amounts that I drank. <laughs> you know, and I'm, and I'm glad people aren't driving clear across town here to get housed on a Wednesday night and then drive, you know, but um, yeah, coming from Omaha to, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> to record a podcast yeah. and sample yeah, your beer. Yeah, yeah. What's up? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think part of it is our geographical location, but I think absolutely part of it is, you know, I see the younger beer drinkers i think there's this like experimental phase that everybody goes through with things you're only going to be in that super fruity beer mode for a while you're only going to be in that new england hazy mode for a while and then when you grow out of it or you get tired of it or you keep seeing the same tricks all the time like we're we're here with regular beers for you right (laughs) well and i think too is like we really like to drink beer so a lot of those you know, fruitier beers or pastry kind of stout beers or whatever. Like, like you're not here to drink five of those. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're here to drink five beers. Three. Three. <laughs> or whatever, right? Three. Like, I want to drink, if I'm going to drink a beer, I'm probably going to drink more than one beer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So... Yeah, and like that's at the same time though, like there's I get why people are interested yeah. in those things. Yeah. I get why they sell. Yeah. I get why yeah. people want to drink them. Uh, but for us, that's is just not what I'm interested yeah, in. Yeah. It's just like I don't like country music. You know, I love music, but I don't like country music. Right. And so right. I'm just steering clear of that. You know, yeah. and yeah. and I, as part of it for me is like just not really being interested in it. I know that I can't really do it justice. You know, like. I'm, I'm not going to do anything that I just want to like put out to s- sell either. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it's pretty easy to go and develop some seltzers. It's pretty yeah. easy to just do that stout and throw some cinnamon and stuff on it and just sell it to people. Yeah. But I, you know, we, uh, it's so not my deal. Sound corny, but I, I care a lot about every beer that's up on the wall right now. Yeah, for sure. It means something to us. Yeah. There's a story behind every one of those. There's a reason that they were made. And for me, I can, taste that so yeah and I think for me too there's part of it that like 
you know, we're all kind of standing on the shoulders of those people that came before us and, you know, doing what all these like amazing German and, you know, English and Belgian and all the great American brewers that came before us, you know, and like, I think that there's something to be said about like, you know, keeping, keeping these trends, keeping these things alive. I don't necessarily do beers exactly to style, you know, like I'm drinking our fest beer right now. And I do a couple things in this that are absolutely not German brewing approved. Right, right. <laughs> um, but it's also recognizable immediately as a fest beer, you know. So I, I, I'm always kind of trying to look towards new processes, new ingredients, and adapting those to older recipes or older brewing styles or how things used to be done. Um, so there's just always new hops coming out. There's new yeast coming out. There's always new processes that we're seeing and finding. Um, so like really trying to kind of keep one foot in the past and one foot in the future with these is kind of what I'm looking at. Like, I'm, and we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. I, I fell in love with these things for what they are and I want to honor them by keeping them, you know, close to what they are. So, um, I want to go back to talking about for veterans and some other stuff that you guys have done community wise. You've brewed that veterans beer. You've also pledged free beer to customers who are fully vaccinated against COVID, um, which is is absolutely awesome. We talked about that on the way down. But do you guys believe being owners of a community gathering place like a beer hall type setting where you do serve the community, does that come with any added pressure or any added responsibility in the way that you tend to manage day to day? So my answer to that, I think, is no for us. Not for us. We're just who we are. We're doing the things we're doing because we believe in them. And it's real. So we're not doing it. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're not doing the thing because we think, oh, this will sell us more beer. Well, it's not the... Or whatever. It's not the corporate mission statement kind of thinking. Like It's just who we are. It's just who we are. And and we don't have to ask permission from anybody else. And so we just... Do it. Do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the easy part about it is that, like, we're best friends. (laughs) Right? And we're in love. And we're in love. (laughs) Uh, But decisions, right, making those kind of decisions is easy for us. Because it's, again, it's just who we are. So, you know, it'll be, hey, you know, here's the idea I have. Should we do this thing? Yes, no, whatever, talk through it. But it's never like, should we do it so that somebody will think a thing about what we're doing? Definitely comes into play like, mm, after talking through it, eh, maybe that wouldn't be perceived very well or, may, you know, whatever. Maybe we should think about yeah, that in a different yeah, yeah. way or whatever. I mean, we definitely have that as a part of our decision making. Well, but, and there's definitely things that we've passed on doing yeah, um, because yes. we're like, hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, we're a, fr- a family-friendly establishment. Right. right. You know, we understand we live in Nebraska, mm-hmm. right? Like, so, like, we were approached to do um, a collaboration beer for an event with this band called Satan. And, you know, I was just like, dude, and it's a band I like. Yeah, you know, they've been to. around. They've been around for <laughs> shit. I don't probably over 30 years now. And I was like, yeah, we're already kind of riding the line here on yeah, some yeah. of this stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, and so it's like things like that. And there's other things that we've said, eh, yeah, we probably shouldn't do that because it's just not a great look for who we are and what we right, do. Right, so, right, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, I'm. I was a Boy Scout my whole life and still abide by a lot of those philosophies. You know, I mean, it was a really important organization for me growing up. And I probably learned 
as much or more being involved with BSA than, than a lot of things. And just that, like the philosophy of leave it better than you found it, um, always really resonated with me. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to make things better. We're trying to give people a, a, a fun place to hang out, you know, not just to come and just drink beer and get wasted. Right. right you know, right. like yeah. we want you to be able to come here and like recharge and refresh and, and reset from a shitty day or a rough weekend or, or whatever, you know, like even if that's just cause you came in and had a beer and got a high five from a bartender <laughs> yeah, or yeah. because, you know, you can come in here and one of the other regulars is your friend. We're here to make the community better through through beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, was, I was gonna say I think you accomplish that mission just by by being yourself, by creating a space that yeah, is yeah. your own. Yeah. Yep. Brewing honestly yep. to what what yeah. you enjoy. Yeah. And that's that that allows you to stand out, but also make these classic styles of beers that don't yeah. have to be over the right. top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um. So I'm interested to know a little bit about about the ingredients that you use. You guys highlight sure. a lot of local yeah, yeah. ingredients. Um, do you feel like that limits you or do you find like you're able to be more creative with those limitations? Sure. So I absolutely um, just brewing in general put constraints on myself all the time. So like there's always kind of things that I have in the background running in my mind that are like, you know, we're just not going to do that. Um, as far as using local ingredients, I wouldn't say we use a lot because there's just not a lot available. We can't really get local malt here. Um, so that's, that's gone. And a lot of that's just agronomy. The crops that are developed for brewing weren't developed to be grown in Nebraska. You know, you go back to these like land grant university ideas and all this research and that research didn't happen here. You know, that research happened in Wisconsin, it happened in Wyoming, and it happened in North Dakota. Um, so a big part of it is, you know, we were so focused on corn and soybeans and milo here that those crops weren't developed. It's just been recently that people have been finding hops that grow well here. Um, we've switched over our kind of our main three beers to using all Nebraska hops. Well, not all Nebraska hops, but almost all Nebraska hops. Um, so if everything has eyes, we're using Columbus hops uh, from Denton, Skybound hops for our bittering hop. But then we're also using Cascade and Simcoe from the Pacific Northwest. On Unlock the Time Dragon, the prominent hop in that is uh, Comet. We've been able to source that from Christensen Hop Farms here in Nebraska. They're in uh, Fort Calhoun, I think. They're up north of Omaha. I think it's Fort Calhoun. And then uh, also for Dead Man's Run, we're using Nugget out of the Pacific Northwest as a bittering hop for that, but all the finishing hops in that are Triple Pearl, uh, also from Skybound Hops by Denton. I think they're by Denton. Does that sound right to you? I don't know. I'm not feeling very smart right now. I wasn't paying attention oh, to this okay. part. <laughs> um, but, you know, for, for our three main beers, we've definitely switched over to as many local ingredients as, as we can use. One of the things you have to struggle with with a lot of the Nebraska hop yards is they just can't, produce what you need. So, you know, we'd have people come in and say, hey, we want you to use these hops. And it's like, well, how many do you have? And it'll be like, we have 60 pounds. And you're like, cool, that lasts me a month. What are we going to do the rest of the year? And so the way our business model works is being a part taproom, part production brewery is I've got to have a large supply chain for those things. Mm -hmm. Trying to use those local ingredients does put some constraint on you a lot of the hop farms are still new, so they're not even really into their like really good crops yet. So the quality of those is just getting better and better every year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely puts some constraint on you just what you can do. Uh, the bigger issue is back to like environment and agronomy is that you can grow Cascade hops anywhere. They don't taste the same everywhere. 
And then you start getting in this kind of terroir thing. And it's like, it's not necessarily like a straight substitution. Like I can't just take cascade hops out of everything has eyes that we've been using and, and just sub substitute something that's grown in Michigan or Nebraska or whatever. It's a totally different flavor profile. Um, and that's really the hardest part of, of using Nebraska grown ingredients is number one, it's just such a new industry. And number two, just the volumes that, that these guys are growing. So I don't know if I really answered your question. No, I think it answers it great. And I think um, you win the award for the first use of the word terroir on yeah. our podcast, oh, yeah, which is great. But yeah, I mean, you can even find hops. You can be 100 yards away in those hop fields and row 24 is completely different than row 22. They get that specific when they're harvesting these and processing them. They're hyper specific with, with exactly where your hop came from. Um, because they'll have that much variance. Maybe there was a little dip in elevation right there, and like there was a shadow on it for an hour a day. We'll change what the hops do. That row maybe got watered a little bit more, or irrigated more, or that rainstorm hit this chunk of the field that year and not that. And that'll completely change what happens in those hops. Yeah. I just brought you guys two new beers, so oh, those are different. What do we have? Straight for the Sun, which okay. is our session IPA. And you have Butler's Brew. So that was kind so of a brown special, porter. yeah, we really set a little bit, but only in draft and it, yeah, it's a porter. So yeah. yeah, there's something special about being just in the middle of conversation and have beers just, it just shows yeah, right? yeah. 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 come in. I, I think you guys are, are uniquely positioned actually to answer this question. Our, our question that we like to ask to each brewery is if Nebraska, University of Nebraska pulled their head out of their ass and, yeah, right. and started selling beer at Memorial Stadium. Yeah. Do you have a, a beer in mind that you could bring to the table? I mean, or we could sell so much Dead Man's yeah. Run there. I was going to say. So, yeah, my absolute answer to that is Dead Man's Run is king. Yeah. It is the beer that opens eyes and doors to craft beer. Yep. It deserves all the respect. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. It, it is the beer that um, absolutely, I think, brings non-craft beer drinkers into craft beer. Yeah. For us, anyway. We understand definitely where we live, where we are, what kind of beer people like. And we like those kind of beers, too. Yep. Honestly, we like, you know, High Life, Hams, Coors, Banquet. Banquet. Yeah. And they have a place. For a lot of those big industrial macro brewers, I mean, the down their downfall to me is not using quality ingredients. Yeah. yeah. They went away from what they were doing and tried to streamline things for cost savings. It only seems smart for so long, right? It right. only seems smart till it sucks. You know, really what these big industrial brewers did was started moving away from recognizable ingredients. Like you can't you can't go when they're brewing Bud Light and just like pick up a handful of rice. It's all syrups and derivatives and processed things. So, you know, really being able to bring the this kind of beer back as the ingredients that were originally intended and using a high quality ingredient instead of cost savings you know it's an it's an amazing thing because like for me it was always like how in the hell did these beers take over the world because i can't imagine i can't imagine somebody having one of these like it was brewed in the 90s or now and the whole world going like holy shit this is the best thing i've ever had but when they were doing it and originally doing it, it was with ingredients that they were growing and processing and, and using. So being able to get these beers back to that is important for me. 
the other thing that I think with this beer for us is you see a lot of people do this kind of beer and it's funny and it's ironic yeah. and it's, it's a not joke funny to us. <laughs> and it's not funny to me, man. No. I'm dead serious about this no. beer and yeah. that it's awesome. And that yeah. it's this a kind of beer that should be in your rotation. Yeah. And for us to be able to provide locally something like that is important to me. Being in this industry for so long, like you'd always hear, what do you have that's, that's like, like yeah. this? Yep. this. Yep. And always so, beer fest. We are here today. Yeah. Right? And we have a beer to answer yeah. that question. And so, you know, when people come up, there's no conversation about, no. well, this is like that because yeah. blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. What do you have that's like that? This. Here you go. Yep. Boom. And people always, you'll just see their eyes light up and they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize these kind of beers were good. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you just, yeah. you, again, going back to what is the, what is craft beer known as? Well, it's known as overhopped. It's yep. known as yep. the pastry stout. Yep. It's known as the stuff that like you hand to a friend who doesn't drink it and you go, yeah. hey, try this. And they go, that, yeah, yeah, that's gross. not beer. Yeah. Right. But then you have something that's made yep. with ingredients yep. mm-hmm. that you can actually pick up and touch yep. and read the label on yeah. and know what they say and yeah. and that kind of care. And I think that's the way it should be. Yeah. And those, those are winners for everybody. Like people outside the yep. community can come yeah. in and find something familiar. Yep. But yeah. if you're inside the community already, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. This, like, it's a like yeah. great beer. I think, I mean, if, if we had, I mean, well, CHI Health Center up in Omaha, like it started carrying Dead Man's yeah. Run. And I got off the phone with our distributor um, one day and he called me right back and he was like, hey, the guy at CHI Health Center um, called me back. He was walking around drinking a dead man's run because it just showed up. And he was like, he is about it. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. So yeah, like, that's great. You yeah. Know, now maybe, yeah. maybe when we can start having yeah. events at CHI again, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that'll really pay yeah. off. Well, um, yeah. And you'll yeah. find it in 16 ounce cans six packs because that's the way we believe it should yeah you know the preferred <laughs> like, format of right. beer at yep. underground heavy metal and punk rock and rock and roll shows is the 16 ounce pbr yep. tall boy and so i mean we have those in 16 ounce cans specifically because like we want to take we want to take that over like yep. if you go to a show here i i want to get to a point sometime where People aren't drinking PBRs at the show. I want to go to shows here and see our beer in people's hands instead of that at every show we go to. Well, there's nothing worse, too, than having to, like, have a little tiny beer, and then you're like, well, shit, do I go get another beer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, yeah. I gotta, do I buy right. two? Yeah, do I buy two? Do yeah. I double-fist it to my buddy? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Well, yeah. and the funny thing with shows is the reason so many people drink PBR at shows, this goes back to, like, the late 80s and 90s, is uh, PBR didn't have, like, a real advertising budget. Like, they didn't do commercials. They didn't do uh, magazine ads. You know, you might see a billboard up in some town every here and there you you'd see it on a truck or something but you know they weren't doing national ad campaigns they were doing two things they were sponsoring rodeos and they were sponsoring shows you'd go to these like small venue shows in the early 90s and they were always sponsored by pbr and you know the beer you know back then you'd get a beer for like a dollar 50 or whatever you know you get a 16 ounce can at a show for like a buck 50 and so all the, you know, broke-ass, crusty punks that were at the show with you <laughs> could drink beers. Right. And, you know, all the guys that are in other bands that blow all their money on a shitty tour van and gear had money, $1.50 for beers. And really, that's why you see so much of that PBR and even old style, like, it, at shows is yeah. from things they did 25 years ago. That's cool. And people have no idea that that's where that comes from and it's just crazy huh. but my first beer i ever bought legally right or I ever had legally that i purchased was a pbr 16 yeah. ounce but it was in new york city so it probably cost me like 10 yeah, bucks right or something crazy yeah like some jazz lounge and yeah, yeah. what am i doing God. with my life 
Great. <laughs> well, guys, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, before you opened up on a, on a Saturday yeah, to yeah, sure. uh, sit yeah. down with us. I've had a, a great time. The beer is fantastic. It's wonderful. Well, thanks, man. Um, we just, we really appreciate it. We're, we're big fans of yours. And thanks. so you guys would be so cool and let us come down yeah. and, and bother yeah. you and yeah, yeah. drink some beer with you and, and chat, which I'm, is absolutely amazing. I'm just glad we didn't have to talk about Husker football. We wouldn't make you do that. No, right. no, 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 no. That's that's we, the other half. Because then we just look dumb. Yeah. yeah, we would. We really do appreciate it. You know, we 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 love what you guys do for the community. That's that's a big part of our podcast is cool. is yeah. joining communities and it, Husker football and craft beer are two things that matter a lot to us. Yeah, sure. And we don't think that they're two areas that always blend together. Yeah. And so our goal yeah, is to yeah, introduce right. football fans to craft beer sure. and craft beer to football Sweet. fans. Yeah, yeah. And so we just we just really appreciate you taking the time yeah. and, and yeah. keep doing everything you're doing because you know, like you said, Michelle, you guys are using. The right North Star. Thank um, you so much. We really respect that, and it's just an absolute honor to chat awesome. with you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having yeah. us. Yeah, thank, thank you. So that was a really special conversation that we had with Sam and Michelle. Those two were just absolute. I mean, I don't want to get too corny or anything like that, but I just looked up to how they ran their business, the way that they talked about their operation, and especially when they get into things like the Vets Blend and talking about those specific beers and what they're trying to do with their brewery to really establish themselves as a member of a local community and a bigger community. Yeah, they're good people, right? Just good, genuine, quality people, and that's that's been the best thing I think about doing this podcast so far is meeting these people. You don't you don't know what to expect when you get into it, but I've been blown away, and and uh, Sam and Michelle just kind of continued to blow my mind. Yeah, it turns out that assholes don't own breweries. No, yeah, it's impossible. It's physically impossible for an yeah. asshole to open a brewery. Yeah, great people own breweries, and right now we're actually enjoying that Vets Blend, and it's not on kind of our outline of beers to discuss but uh drew what do you think about this beer i'm i'm i can't i can't say enough good things about it sam talked a lot about it and 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 how it's created you know with experimental hops and so it's something that you're not going to find anywhere else out on the market all he had to do was was create a beer to to complement them and they're they're shining the hops are shining in this thing as far as the flavor profile goes i know we talked about it a little bit in the interview but this smells like pineapple and it drinks like beautiful pulpy orange juice like fresh squeezed orange juice it is an incredible beer if you guys can make your way down to cosmic eye to pick up a four pack it's not going to last long they're they're going to run out of this they were supposed to release it in 2020 they had to delay it because of covid so there's still a little bit available but uh sell it out buy it out because money goes to a great cause and it's a great beer it's it's a fundraiser beer that tastes incredible it's it's not something where it's just like oh we're gonna throw some money at the wall and hope that uh, this raises funds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Make the trip if you're in Omaha or even if you're in Lincoln, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's worth it. Yeah. It's totally worth it. All right. Uh, before we say goodbye, we want to give you another chance to win our season long prize package, including a game used Nebraska football and a local brewery swag for this week's entry. And this may backfire on us completely, but leave us a review. Oh God. What a terrible idea. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Someone left us a negative review and wins. So here's hundreds of dollars worth of prizes. Thanks. Sorry you didn't like our show. Thanks, dick. Leave, <laughs> leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and email either a screenshot or the username you used. And remember, only one entry per episode, and make sure to include your first and last name in your email entry. If you haven't already, feel free to listen to previous episodes to learn how to enter in each of those. That does it for this week. We want to thank Michelle and Sam Riggins of Cosmic Eye for hosting us over great conversation and top-notch beer. We also want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Yeah, we also want to thank our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. 
If you have any Nebraska breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at wannabewalkons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in next week for... Game Week! Woo! Our preview of Nebraska's opener against Illinois and some more Nebraska craft beer. It wouldn't be goodbye if we didn't say drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.